0: And so, Father, I pray that you'd speak to us. May we hear your words today through our brother Doug. I pray that it would enlighten us in a fresh new way. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is David Mitchell, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. I've gone through a transformation over the weekend. It's been wonderful. No, my name is Doug Brown, and I'm happy to be here. I'm the high school pastor, and I would just like to begin by saying thank you for allowing me to be here. I have prayed for Dave, and I hope he gets well soon, but I'm excited to be with you. I was planned to speak in the second service here in Elevation, but I'm happy to be here this morning. We're going to have a great time, and we have a lot to cover. How are you all doing this morning? Good. Have you had a good weekend? Yeah. My sister-in-law gave birth yesterday, or two days ago, so that's exciting. I just became an uncle again, so that's exciting. I'm having a good weekend, but I'm also slightly tired because, you know, that whole thing. But this morning, we uh, are—let me give you a little picture of where we're at at Calvary Church. We are on our last Sunday in the Chronicles of the Kings series. So give yourselves a round of applause. We made it to the end. You did a good job. Hopefully you've seen some of the reoccurring themes in the Chronicles of the Kings, that the kings oftentimes fail, whether they're bad or they're good. They all fall short of King Jesus, and that's what we're looking forward to. Believe it or not, next week we transition into... Reach Week here at Calvary, where we get to hear about the mission of King Jesus in the world, how we are making disciples of all people, and about how at Calvary Church, we are supporting and have family members here who are out and around the world. And then right after that, we go into Easter. So it's an exciting time to be part of Calvary. It's getting warmer outside. Spring is coming. It's just, I'm just so happy to be here. Okay, let's move on. This morning, we have one last king to cover, a great king and he is an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old king, all right? So open up your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 22. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time here this morning. I also have to do, say one thing. In your, uh, out, your bulletin that you got this morning, there should be an outline, all right? It says David Mitchell at the top. I apologize. Just go ahead and crumple that thing up and throw it away. I'm so sorry. I uh there there are different points that we're about to make, so I apologize. You can tuck that into your Bible for some reading later or homework later. You can fill the whole thing out and give it back to Dave. He'll be really happy and proud of you. So again, Second Kings twenty two. We have let's see, where uh oh, do we go there? Okay. This morning we we're gonna look at Hope. All right, this morning we we're going to look at Josiah, King Josiah, who becomes a king at eight years old, and we we're going to look throughout this story at how Josiah has hope in God. But it's not always like that. We're going to get there, okay? So read along with me. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the entire story. And as we go through the story, I'm going to kind of explain and give you the major bullet points of the story. Because, I'll be honest, there's a lot there. So as we go through, you'll be able to read with us. And I'm going to give you the story of Josiah. Starting in chapter 22, verse 1. It says this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned for thirty years. One years in Jerusalem. Does anyone know an eighth grader? Can you picture an eight-year-old, I'm sorry, an eight-year-old in your mind? Maybe a a child you have, or a grandchild, or a brother, or a sister, or a friend. An eight-year-old, right? Can you imagine, as an eight-year-old becomes king, what are some of the things that that eight-year-old is going to need? Probably the first one, advice, right? An eight-year-old is not going to be able to come to the throne and say, all right, people, I got some ideas. Here they are. One, we got to do this, this, this. No, He's going to need help. He's going to need advisement. And as an eight year old becomes king, most likely. He's going to continue what's already there. And if you read behind the, back behind this story, last week we talked about Hezekiah, but after Hezekiah, there's other kings that aren't so good. And these other kings bring into the kingdom of Israel lots of idol worship. And as that idol worship grows and Josiah becomes king, it's not on his first priority to make all of his, these changes. He grows up in a way And in Israel, that's surrounded by idols and idol worship, even in the temple of God. Last week, how we learned about Hezekiah, cleared that out. There are are idols back in the temple of God. And here is a story of Josiah coming to be king, and as he's growing, they want to make Refer, what was the word? Refurbishments, right? Is that the word? Refurbishments to the temple. They want to repair the temple in some cosmetic ways. And here's what's happening. If you jump down now into uh, verse three. Now, in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan. Shaphan is a a scribe. He works for the king. He sends Shaphan to go to the high priest Hilkiah to bring him some money for the people who are making refurbishments on the temple. These people are the ones who are carving out the stones. They're cutting the timber. They're doing all this stuff, making some cosmetic improvements. It says this, go to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers gathered from the people, and then deliver it to the people who are working, right? Deliver it to the people who are working on the house of the Lord. So Shaphan does this. He gets there. Hilkiah is there. I picture the scene going like this. Shaphan gets there, and he goes, okay, I have some money here, here for you, uh, here for you for the people who are working. And Hilkiah, the priest, is maybe standing there, and he has an odd look on his face, and he says, I have something I need to tell you, Shaphan. Go down in verse 8. This is what Hilkiah says. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I found a book. I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And you may be thinking, what does that mean? He says again, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Shaphan maybe thinks, okay, what does this mean? The high priest gives it to him. Shaphan reads it and says, I have to give this to the king. So he leaves and he's going to go back and he's going to go tell the king, king, we have found the book of the Lord in the midst of our refurbishments. Here's how this goes. What does that actually look like? That looks like this. When you would do refurbishments in the house of the Lord, in the temple, right? Oftentimes at the pillars or at the base of the temples, they would bury with these scrolls, all right? These are not necessarily scrolls, these are are tablets. These are Assyrian tablets, but it would be something like this in the foundations of the temple of the Lord. They would bury them there near the foundations because if you were going to do a repair job and you wanted to look at the law, you wanted to look at what was there, it's also a symbol of the Lord at the foundation of what you would do. This was common throughout the ancient Near East. So maybe, perhaps, Hilkiah the high priest is looking for them, or perhaps while they're doing the renovations, they find them, and what they find is a part of the Torah, right? They're not exactly quite sure what they found. It could have been the book of Deuteronomy, but whatever it is, it has the laws to the Israelite people in that. So they find this. This is a big deal. You're living in an Israel where Josiah is the king. There's idol worship all over the place. And then, uh uh-oh, they just found this. The high priest says, I have found the book of the law. And he gives it to this this scribe, Shaphan. Shaphan says, I got to go tell the king. Jump over to verse 10. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he rips his clothes. Josiah rips his clothes in grief. Jump down to verse, the end of verse 13. Great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Josiah rips his clothes in grief, because what he, what he is, hears and what he sees in these tablets, the, the law is that what is happening in Israel is wrong, is that they are worshiping idols in a a wrong way and that the anger of the Lord burns against them. So Josiah says in all through 14, all the way down to verse 20, he says, go and interpret what this means. Go and interpret these tablets. Go interpret this book. Come back to me and tell me what it means. What happens is they, as they go and interpret it all throughout the, the land of Israel, they find Josiah, If you hold to your word, if you clear the temple, if you clear this idol worship from Israel, you will be spared and you will be right in the sight of the Lord. And then look at this in verse 20. They say, Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Josiah, if you make the changes that you need to make, you will be gathered to your grave in peace. You will do right in the sight of the Lord. So what does Josiah do? Does Josiah just say, ah, forget it. We don't need to do any changes. Josiah says, no, we are going to make changes. Down into chapter 23, go to verse 3. It says this. The king stood by the pillar outside of the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul and to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book And all of the people entered into the covenant. So, Josiah says, we are going to make some changes, Israel. What are those changes? What's the idol worship going on? Just wait till you see. We're going to read through these quickly. In verse 4, all the way into the next, probably the next page, all the way down into verse 20, right? We are going to see some of the crazy idol worship that is happening in Israel. Read with me. I'm just going to jump through, and you can kind of see where I'm at. In the end of verse 4, bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made to Baal, to the Asherah, and for the hosts of the heaven. And he burns them outside of Jerusalem. He did away, in verse 5, with all of the idolatrous priests from whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense to the high places and of Judah and the surrounding Jerusalem. And then down in verse 6, he brought out the Asherah. And if you're wondering what these things are, these are idols to a god. And Asherah, Asherah was a, a, a queen goddess, right? She was married to a god. And what they would have is maybe an Asherah pole, maybe perhaps made of wood or stone. But what that would be is that they would worship that that idol, so that Asherah would be worshipped. And we're going to talk about that more in a second. But so what Josiah is doing, is he's, he's removing these things, he's burning them, he's throwing them outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Even more so, turn over to verse 11. He did away with the horses which the kings of Judah had given to the sun. Verse 12, the altars which were on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made. He does away with those. Down in f- verse 15, furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel, jumping down a little bit, the altar in the high place he broke down. Then he demolished its stones, ground them to dust, and burned the Asherah. All the way down to verse 20. All the priests of the high places who were there, he slaughtered on the altars and burned human bones on them, and then he returns to Jerusalem. And when he returns, in verse 21, He says, what we will do is as we have destroyed all of these gods and done away with them, what we will do is we will celebrate Passover. A Passover says that in God alone, we find our hope. In God alone, we find our hope. It's not in all of these other things. It's in God alone, in Yahweh alone, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who spared us and who saved us. That is where we'll find our hope. And if you read on into the story of Josiah. He's a faithful king. It says he never strays from the right or the left. He goes out to fight against Egypt, and he's actually killed and brought back and buried in Israel. So here is our story of our last king that we're going to look at, one who is faithful, who is faithful to destroy the idols of Israel and support and be with God alone. And our first point off of this story is this, that without revelation, We have no hope. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to explain to you how idol worship looked like in the first, or in this time, all right? In this time, idol worship was very, something very specific. We oftentimes get it messed up, because when I was growing up, and and sometimes when I think about idol worship, I think that this, and this might be you, so go along with me, okay? You see Israel worshiping idols. I used to think they worshiped those idols because they thought those idols, this is a Go with me. They thought that those idols were worthy of worship. Okay? They thought those idols are worthy. I love those gods, therefore I'll worship them. That used to be my thought. I think it's a little misguided because when we think about Israel that way, we think that they're in love with all of these different gods because those gods in and of themselves are worthy to be loved so they worship them. I would like to argue and change your viewpoint, just change your perspective just slightly because when I think we have a more accurate presentation of what that looks like, I think we'll be able to to see how it applies to us a little better. Here, let me give you a couple quotes, all right? All right, Ben's bringing down my object lesson. Ben, you can sit in the front right over here. Don't worry. This is not a strange man who's a weird. He's my brother-in-law. Just sit right there. Perfect. Let me give you a couple quotes. Here's a quote about people who lived in that time. Dogmatism and intolerance towards the beliefs of others was alien to the ancient religions. Dogmatism towards other beliefs was alien to them. They accepted all gods. Why is this? Let me again argue to this point, that gods during this time were functionary gods. Let me say that one more time. Gods during this time were functionary gods. What does that mean? If a God is a functionary God, it plays a specific purpose in the world, okay? So if you walk outside and you look up and you see the sun, and you wonder, how did the sun get there in this ancient world? You would say, there is a God behind that sun. And that God's existence is displayed in a certain function. That function is that the sun is shining. And what you do to worship that God is you make that God happy you make their life really great. If that god is represented in the form of a statue, then you make that statue happy. In a way you bring that statue food, you make sacrifice to it, sacrifices to it, and you do anything you can to preserve the happy life of that god. Why? So that that god would continue to give its function to the earth. Does that make sense? that the God would continue to make the sun shine. This happens all throughout the ancient world. And it's, it's true that the Israelites have the truth that Yahweh, God alone, the one true God, is above all of these gods, but it's a common mistake they make of falling into worship of all these other gods. Why? It's not because they think that they're worthy and that of themselves and that they love them. It's that they're afraid that they're going to lose the function of all these separate gods. If the god of the rain is angry at us, it won't rain, and our crops will die. This is true of the sun god, of the the god of the rain, of the god of, of agriculture, the god of fertility. If we anger these gods, they will remove their function from us. And it is incredibly hard to know who to worship and how to worship them, and you are left in agony. Here's a quote. I'm going to read it for you. This is a quote from a Babylonian poem. Uh, It says, of the righteous sufferer. This person who reads this, or who writes this, is wondering if what they're doing is making God happy. Are we pleasing God? It says this, I wish I knew that these things were pleasing to one's God. What is proper to oneself is an offense to one's God. What in one's heart seems despicable is proper to one's God. Who knows the will of the gods in heaven? Who understands the plans of the underworld gods? Where have mortals learned the way of God? And in the ancient world, worshiping the gods was exhausting. There's another Assyrian prayer that starts this way. To the God that I know or that I don't know to the goddess that I know or the goddess that I don't know. You see, in the ancient world, there were so many gods to worship. And as you worshipped them, you worshipped them so they would continue to give you their function. And it was exhausting. But your hope for a lot of people was in these gods. It, your hope was in them. Israel's idol worship is not them falling in love with other gods. It's them looking for hope in false idols. It's them looking for hope in all of the other ways in which there are ways to find hope. And what Josiah says is you need to come back to the one that gives us hope. Let me demonstrate this for you, okay? Now I need, I need Ben. Come on over here. Then throw me the balloon that says Yahweh on it, all right? Here's how we're going dis- to describe this, okay? Here's a balloon. It says Yahweh on it. In Israel, they know that to find hope in their life, they need to do only one thing, lift up Yahweh. And this will be represented by me just throwing this in the air. Can you see this? Oh, hopefully you can see this. This is a giant balloon. You're throwing Yahweh up in the air. You're worshiping Yahweh, Right? Absolutely. Here's what Israel is tempted to do. They are tempted to say, Our hope is in Yahweh, but also it is very common to believe that unless we worship the God of agriculture, our crops will die. So another God gets entered entered in. And you have another God that's there, right? And you're thinking, Okay, this ain't so bad. I got this. I got Yahweh over here. Yahweh, great God, wonderful God. But if it stops raining, that's going to be bad. So you got to keep that God up. And you may think this is easy. Because you got two gods, but then another god comes in. Oh no, the god of the sun! If this doesn't, if the sun stops shining, we got serious problems, right? So you got that over there. Oh boy, you got that one over here. Oh boy. Okay. So we got Yahweh. We got the god of the sun. Where'd Yahweh go? Ah, Yahweh is important, yes. Oh boy. well, oh, the god of the sun. Ah, keep Yahweh up. Keep the rain going. And then you're thinking, this is easy, right? And then all of a sudden, one gets way over there. Yahweh's over here. You've got to say, keep Yahweh. And what you're doing is you're getting exhausted. Get over here, God of the Sun, And what Josiah's reforms are doing, are saying, just please stop. You have to stop. What you're doing is you're exhausting yourself. You're not worshiping Yahweh. I'm calling you to do one thing. It's easy. It's to lift up Yahweh. It's to put him above all else. But you say, but my hope will fall. All the other gods are going to fall down. It doesn't matter. There is one you find hope in. Yahweh. Yahweh. Does that make sense? Thank you, guys. You can put those back. Thank you, Ben and Robert. This is not what we see in the Bible. God, is, God does not exhaust people. God lifts up people. God is easy to find. In Jeremiah 29, who's a prophet, during, during the time of Josiah, it says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I will come and pr- and you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search For me, with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It is not what we see in the Bible. The Bible is not exhausting. God is not exhausting. Yahweh gives us life, and Yahweh can be found. He can be worshiped, and He is worthy of our hope. Our hope doesn't necessarily, us putting our hope in things, doesn't necessarily look like we're worshiping idols for the functions of the earth. Generally, in our modern day, all of our idols have moved inward. And we don't look to other things for our hope. We look to ourselves to find hope. We say that I can make myself stable. I can make myself wise. I can make myself holy and I can make myself happy through the processes of which I know how to make my life run. I can do everything in my own power to make myself happy, wise, holy, and stable. And what it looks like to put God above all those things is to have a proper reaction and a proper stance toward God in our lives. I'm not saying that you know you get sick or something like that and it's like just pray. Don't worry about it, just pray. I'm that's what I'm saying. We are very capable beings and we know how to do a lot of things. But often, far too often, when something happens in our life, we, our first reaction, is to say, I can fix this. I don't need God, I can fix this. We need to have a different reaction to God. We need to put God in his proper place. Because the revelation of him through the word gives us our hope. What does that look like? It looks like this. Commitment requires real change. Commitment requires real change. I remember when I was in grade school, I was never very good at math. I really struggled at it, and it was very hard for me. Once I got into high school, the problem only compounded, which is a math term, Um, getting better. Um... The problem only got worse. And I remember in algebra specifically, I said, you know what I'm going to do for algebra? I'll just memorize it. I'll memorize algebra. I'll memorize the answers to all the equations. My friend said, you really should probably learn how to do algebra. And I said, no, this is way easier. I'll just memorize all of it. And when we got to the test, it was all different. And I thought, this doesn't work. (laughs) I've memorized certain equations and things like that. And I remember being so angry and so frustrated. I tried so hard to make it the easy way, and in a way, I only made it worse. I made it the hard way. And this is the same kind of thing that oftentimes happens with our Christianity. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about how Christianity is either hard or easy. And the hard way to do Christianity is to approach life and say, yes, Through the revelation of God and through the Bible, we have our hope in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I'm going to add that on top of my life like an ornament. And I'm going to do everything that I want to do. I'm going to approach my life the way I want to approach it. And when things go wrong or something like that, or when I have a question about morality, I'll kind of cherry pick God and I'll cherry pick the Bible. And and C.S. Lewis, he says, this is the the hard way to approach Christianity because you will forever be at war within yourself. And Israel, as Israel was at war with itself, finding their hope in other things, other idols as compared to God. Yes, we want to worship God, yes, but we also are afraid and we want to worship other things. Well, we do the same. Our commitment needs to have a real change. We say, oh, I got my whole life over here. I'm managing it just fine. Well, something bad happens. Oh, let me run over here, grab you know, a piece of God or a morality or something, and I'll come back over here, and we're becoming exhausted. We're like that, that Assyrian poem. What does God want? I'm exhausted. What am I supposed to be doing here? C.S. Lewis says we need a, a holistic change. Think of it like this. We put God sometimes as a crown or a cap on a tooth. When in reality, what we need is a root canal. Or another example is this. We have a a field full of grass, and we keep mowing it and trimming it and making it great, but that grass will never turn into corn. What we need to do is pull up the grass and plant corn. What needs to happen in your life and in our life is that we need to approach God in a certain way. We need not just say, God, yes, you're added to my life like an ornament. We need to say, God, change all of me clean me out. Give me a new life, a life that is directed towards you, a life that when problems or difficulty or just the drudgery of just everyday life approaches me, that I don't just look to you for some help every once in a while, but that I am eternally positioned towards you and that I slowly become more like your son Jesus. That's the real change that is required. That's the real change that Josiah took part in. And like Matt talked about last week, the dredging out of all of the sin and evil out of Israel. This happens again in Josiah's time. Josiah says, I know what we need to do. It's not that we just need to worship Yahweh a little more than normal. It means that we need to clean out, clean out all of Israel. And that's why you see the extreme nature of what he does. He digs up bones and he burns them on on altars and then grinds the altars to dust. Why the extreme nature? It's not only destroying, it's desecration. He is just destroying everything that Israel has false hope in. So it brings us to our last question. And my last question is this Is God enough for us in our day? For you today? Is God enough? Is it enough? For Jesus to be our vision, like we sung. Be now my vision. When you go out, at the end of this series, at the end of the Chronicles of the Kings, if you've learned anything, it's this. That that kings are not enough. That false idols are not enough. The things that we put hope in, they're not enough. The structure is not enough. There is only one who can house our hope who can handle, who can shoulder, who can bear the burden of what we need to do to someone. And what we need to do is we need to worship God through our decisions, through our actions, through our lives. Over and over and over again in the Chronicles of the Kings, do we see that a king falls short. Even Josiah is spared, but Israel is not. Israel falls into idol worship again. And my challenge to us is, as a church, we ought not to fall in over and over and over again to things that have false hope, to thinking that our leaders can just, they'll fix everything in my life. Oh, you know, if I just do this structure well enough, it will fix everything. I'm really smart. I can fix my life. I'm really, I'm really talented. I can make enough money to be stable. We need to be positioned in a certain way that says, God, you are our vision. In you, we will find our hope. So is God enough? Is he enough for you? I know he is. We need to act a certain way. So again, the points are for you to remember. Revelation, through the word of God, gives us our hope. That hope leads us to a commitment, and that hope, that commitment needs to be a real one, not a superficial one. It needs to change all of us. Why? Because God is enough. God is enough for our church. He is enough for us. Here's what we're going to do. As we end this series, we are going to to model this and and give a representation of this. And what we're going to do is we are going to hold in our hands the revelation of God the things that reveal to us who God is, the power of who he is, the story of who he is, his redemption of us. So in every chair rack, you have a New American Standard Bible, and we're going to read out of it together. Now, if you just have a New American Standard Bible, you can read out of that, absolutely. Uh, Or if you have another version, that's totally fine. But for continuity, grab the Bible that's in front of you. Make sure it's a New American Standard. What I want you to do is I want you to find... Psalms 62. Psalms 62. If you're in the worship band, you can come back on up here. And as you are finding Psalms 62, it's in, the, it's in this portion of the Bible. <laughs> Does that make sense? See that? It's after Kings, after Chronicles. Psalms 62. There's, there's verses in there. It's verses five through eight. We're going to read together out loud. And as a church, we are going to proclaim that God is enough, and that God is our hope, and that we are positioned towards him, that we are going to stop striving after things that we have false hope in. We're not going to be like me earlier, running around trying to keep up all these balloons on stage, trying to keep up our false hope and our wealth or our talents or anything, trying to be holy, happy, wise, stable on our own. But God alone, when we are positioned toward him and approach him first, that is our way to find hope. Are you there? Yeah? Okay, what I'd love for you to do, if it's possible, in honor of God's word, the revelation of him, let's stand, if you can. And in honor of of what has been revealed to us through the Bible, we will read this together and then we will go into a time of worshiping God. So again, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to go to all the way until verse 8, and then there should be a word at the end that says selah. That just means rest. You don't have to read that one. <clears throat> all right, you ready? Read with me in verse 5. My soul, wait in silence for God, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be shaken. O God, my salvation, my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us.